So at Tri-Cities Baptist Church, we uh, have as our regular diet on Sunday morning preaching through books of the Bible. It's something we do frequently. It's what we do with most of our sermons and most of our sermon series. Every now and then, we will look at a specific doctrine or a specific topic. But for the most part, we preach through books of the Bible. That's what we're doing uh, for the majority of the rest of the year. We're in Colossians, like I said, until June. After that, we move on to 1 Corinthians. After that, we move on to 1 Timothy. And so those are the books that we're going to be studying as a church. And this morning, one of the key themes that we're going to ask is why? Why? Why do we study books of the Bible? Why does it matter that Paul is the author of Colossians? We're going to ask why a lot. But I, I, I want to set up an introduction, not just for this week, but really what will be for the next few months. Why do we study books of the Bible? Why don't we just randomly look through the Bible and kind of pick out the things that we want? Why don't we chase topics more than we do? And there's some good reasons for that. I want to kind of give you those reasons. And if you're taking notes, I'd really like for you to write these things down. They're great reasons for why you, as well, should study through books of the Bible. First, Scripture is the inspired Word of God. Scripture is the inspired Word of God. It is His revelation. In other words, God, the creator and sustainer of all life, has chose to make Himself known. And He has chosen to do that through the Bible. And He chose to do that through books of the Bible. That's an important distinction. Second, Scripture is sufficient. Now, and I say that, this is one of those things. By the way, C.S. Lewis has one of my favorite quotes. He um, he, he has this quote and he says, man goes about his life with thousands of incompatible ideas bouncing around in his head. I think that's true. I think that's true. I think when we start talking about the sufficiency of scripture, I think many of us would say that's true. I believe that scripture is sufficient for everything that I need. And in other words, all that I need to know about who God is as he is intended has been revealed to us in scripture. I believe most of us would say that is true. Many of us who grew up as kids grew up singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. That's right, for the Bible, right? For the Bible tells me so. So watch this. What we're even singing at that young age is that we know Jesus. Why? Because the Bible told me so. It's the source of revelation. And so we recognize that the Bible is sufficient. But if we really believe that the Bible is sufficient, it would change, I think, some of the ways we think and act out on other things. And so we preach through the books of the Bible because Scripture is sufficient. It's what we need. It's what we need. Third, Scripture interprets Scripture. We understand what that verse means because of all the other verses and all the other books around it. In other words, we do not read a verse or a section of Scripture and we don't look out and say, well, what do you think that means? Or what does that mean to you? It doesn't matter what it means to you. It means something. It's an absolute truth. It is the revelation of God. It's a reality. And we understand that reality by studying Scripture. So the whole counsel of Scripture reveals to us the meaning of every verse from Genesis all the way to Revelation. So in other words, the more we understand our Old Testament, 
the more we will understand our New Testament. The more we understand chapter 1 of Colossians, the more we'll understand chapter 2. It builds. It is needed to interpret itself. Number four, a collection of 66 books, our Bible, is God's design. It's God's design. If God wanted to give us a movie, he could have given us a movie. You said, they weren't movies back then. I think God could have handled it. God could have gave us a movie if he would have wanted to. God could have sent all of us a personal angel to just walk around and be like, hey, let me tell you about God. All the time, all of us. He could have done that if he wanted to. God could have made every night at 8 p.m. on our TVs like the old you know, public service announcements of the beep. This is a message from God. Some of, by the way, everyone below the age of 25 is just staring at me. Like, what is he talking about? Uh, us old people, we remember those. Okay, anyway. God could have revealed himself any way he chose. He chose 66 books in a written Bible. Now, we understand the revelation of God goes beyond just the Bible. Uh, Romans says that in nature we can see the entire trinity. But the special revelation of God is he intended as he has ordained comes through the whole of scripture in other words it was God's design and who am I to say God I don't like your design what a bold statement that must be number five last one we need the whole counsel of God we need the whole counsel of God we've talked about how scripture connects and we interpret scripture by scripture the reality is we need the book of Leviticus we need the whole counsel of God you know what I found so much I you know I've I I try to study the Bible I've 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 devoted a lot of time to the study of scripture do you know what I like to study the things that I like my favorites I like to study the things that agree with the way I think You know what I don't like to study so much? The things that I'm maybe perhaps my personality is a little less interested in. Or the things that might say of something in me that, Daniel, you are way off there and you need to change. The fact is we need the whole counsel of Scripture. Not just the sections that we like or the sections that we're familiar with. And when we hold up Scripture in that way, we recognize that the Bible requires a discipline in us. It does. It does. And that discipline is communicated in the Old Testament and to the New. We are called to study it, to read it, to meditate on it day and night, to devote ourselves to it. In the New Testament, we are called immature when we are not digging in. And we are called mature when we have taken it in and lived it out. The Word of God is the revelation of God. And so we preach through books of the Bible for those reasons. And in the end, our faith comes down to our source of revelation. It just does. Because the Bible told me so. That's your defense. When you step away from that defense, you step onto a slippery slope that can take you anywhere else. And so we must choose the source of the revelation of God we must identify it for me that's the Bible it is the inerrant inspired word of God it is 
the document for absolute truth. It is how the God of the universe chose to reveal himself. But for some, there is a temptation to supplement the Bible with other things. And so for some, the Pope has the authority to speak back in and to add revelation on top of revelation. For some, it's not so direct, it is more indirect, but it's still the searching for revelation. It's our favorite author. You know, if our favorite author writes something, it's, it's right up there in terms of its influence with Scripture. Now, we wouldn't say that probably directly, but the way we take it in may very well be that. It's our grandmother or our grandfather. You know the one, the one who lived so much with the Lord, you look to them. They prayed for you. It's our intellect, our reason. We, we think if we can think through these things, then I, I can figure out what's ahead. I can understand who God is and who I am. And so I, I understand that Scripture's there, but if I'm over here and I can just, you know, figure out what all this means, then somehow I've advanced. And probably most prevalent in our area is the way we feel, that we are led by our heart and our emotions. And it doesn't matter that Scripture would tell us that our heart is the most wicked of things, desperately sick. We will go off of our emotion and we'll feel. And when we allow such factors To drive our desire for revelation, listen, we begin to compromise. And sometimes they're so well-intended, and sometimes they're all around us in the church. They're so present in our lives. In the last six months, one of those examples for me has been a book. It's so popular. It's sold over 15 million copies. It's called The Jesus Calling. It's written by Sarah Young. I want to tell you what she says in the introduction of the book. Just listen. This is her. She's talking about how she wrote the book and where the inspiration comes from she goes I began to wonder if I could receive messages during my times of communion with God I had been writing in prayer journals for years but that was only one-way communication I did all the talking I knew God communicated with me through the Bible but I yearned for more increasingly I wanted to hear what God had to say to me personally on a given day What she communicates, well-meaning, I'm sure, is that the Bible is insufficient. I know God gave me the Bible, but I yearn for more. I need more. I need a specific word for me in my given day, and I'm not getting that from Scripture. That's the premise. And so when we view the Bible as insufficient, we seek to supplement. So here's what she goes on to say. I decided to listen to God with pen in hand. Writing down whatever I believed he was saying. See, church, that's a terrifying thought to me. That someone who would say, I'm dissatisfied with Scripture, I listen to God with pen and paper in hand, a practice that's not put forth in Scripture anywhere in any level of discipline. I listen to what God says, and then I write down what I believe he said. See, the very premise behind that although I'm sure most of the things in the book are great the very premise behind that thought devalues the very revelation of God as he has ordained it to be it it minimizes the word of God it says it's not sufficient it can't meet my need it it, God can't speak to me fully through it 
See, we do that in our casual conversation all the time in the South. We talk about, you know, think about the, the Ten Commandments and think, recognize how high on the Ten Commandments do not take the Lord's name in vain is. And we've minimized that to some idea of just some curse word. But the reality is, is every time we walk around and we say to someone else, God told me, God laid it on my heart. To that very moment, you are speaking for God. And it's not that God can't do those things. But the moment you begin to proclaim it, you begin to speak for him. You say, without doubt, this is what is happening. In the Old Testament, if you did that and you were wrong once, they killed you. In the Old Testament, they had such a reverence from God that they wouldn't even speak his name. Now we so wait what fast food restaurant we want to go to, God put it on my heart to go to McDonald's. Shame on us. Shame on us. And so when we look at the scripture, we understand there is a difference in the authority of God's word. There's a difference. It's absolute. It's trusted. And so this is the question. How has God revealed himself? This is the question that Paul begins the book of Colossians addressing. It's the same question he begins many other of his letters. Paul says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy our brother. He says the same thing in 2 Corinthians 1.1. He says the same thing in Ephesians 1.1. He says the same thing in 2 Timothy 1.1. He says the same thing in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1.1. He also says basically the same thing in 1 Timothy 1.1, except he says by the command of God. So I want to break down a few things about what all this means, and we're going to have to be very quick. I've got to do it all in five minutes. You're thinking that's impossible. It is, but we're going to try really hard. All right? So he begins, he, he's got his, you know, his name tag sticker, hello, my name is Paul. He identifies the author of the book. And then he goes on and he explains that I am an apostle of Jesus by the will of God. So who is Paul? Paul, formerly Saul, is a persecutor of Christians. If you're taking notes, uh, or you can got the app, you can follow along a little bit more closely. But in Acts chapter 7, 58, we see that Stephen is stoned. The first martyr in the faith is stoned, and they bring his garments, and they lay, him, lay them at the feet of a na- man named Saul. Now this Saul, his name will later change to Paul. Same person. It's not King Saul. I think I was 16 years old before I realized King Saul didn't turn into like Saul in the New Testament. They live like thousands of years apart. No, no, not the same person. Chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of his execution. Great persecution came against the church. Verse 3, Saul was ravaging the church. Chapter 9, verse 1, Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples. He goes to the high priest. He asks, hey, can I go arrest the men, the women, anyone who's preaching Jesus and bring them back bound to Jerusalem? This is why he's on the road to Damascus. Second, we see that Paul is transformed by the revelation of God. He is transformed by the revelation of God. God overwhelms Paul with who he is. 
If Paul laying blind on the Damascus road after God appears to him, after Jesus appears to him, I think with blind eyes Paul would say the same thing we sang this morning. Oh, what a wonderful love I see. The revelation of who God is had changed his life. He says in verse 3, Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. There in the city, a man by the name of Ananias is sent to Paul. He's a little reluctant because Paul's obviously been persecuting Christians. He goes and he speaks to Paul. He says, or to, to Saul at the time, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. He rose and he was baptized. The conversion of Paul ought to say something to us about the way we view conversion as well. We have so built in so many church practices around these things. We ought to be able to look and see that it's the revelation of Christ. Paul wasn't looking for it. He was looking in the opposite direction. And God so overpowered him with the revelation of who he was that his life would be changed forever. Listen, no matter how prideful a person may be, one day... Their knee will bow and their tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Why will that happen? Because the revelation of God will so overpower them that the most prideful man, the most emotionally stubborn man, his knees will bow and his tongue will confess. If we want to share the gospel today, listen, don't worry about the gimmicks. If you want to change a heart, understand it is the revelation of who God is that changes a man's life. We see that happen with Saul. And Saul goes out third. He becomes a missionary and an apostle to the Gentiles. It says in verse 20, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus. So Paul is a life transformed, miraculously so. He goes on and he says, I am an apostle of Christ. I am an apostle of Christ. What does it mean to be an apostle? A true apostle. The word just means an ambassador. But there was an authority for these men in the New Testament that we don't have today. An experience, a qualification that we don't meet. I want to walk you through them really quick. First, a true apostle is appointed by Jesus himself. Mark 3 verse 14 says the twelve, Jesus appointed the twelve. He appointed them. Acts chapter 9 verse 5, remember who it was that appears to Paul, I am Jesus. It's confirmed later by Ananias in verse 17. Jesus who appeared to you. This is why Paul says, I am an apostle of Christ Jesus. He goes on and he says, I am called by God. An apostle, a true apostle was called or chosen by God. It wasn't a career choice. Remember, Paul wasn't looking for anything. He was chosen. The same terminology is used again Colossians 1 1, 2 Corinthians 1 1, Ephesians 1 1, 2 Timothy 1 1. Here again, 1 Timothy 1 1, it says, according to the command of God. Why do I keep going over those verses the third time I've done that? Because I want you to see it's not just in your Bible once, it's in the beginning of every one of those letters. And if I would have told you that at the beginning, you would have said, that has to be really important and really relevant. Next, we see that a true apostle has seen the risen Christ, the risen Savior. 
when they were to replace the 12th apostle, the one who would carry on for Judas, the disciples wanted someone who'd been there with them from the beginning, but the qualifier was they needed to witness with us his resurrection in Acts chapter 21-22, they said. Witness with us his resurrection. They had to see a resurrected Jesus. So what I want you to see is Paul seems to be constantly defending his apostleship. And it's hugely important to Paul and the early church. It was relevant then for the same reason, church, listen, that it is relevant to us today. It is because the source of our authority and revelation is at stake. Without it, we might as well walk around with pen in hand, writing down what we think may or may not be the revelation of God. Without it, how could we tell the difference between someone like the Pope, John Smith, or Paul? Paul is not them. He's not them. His epistles are not with pen in hand yearning for more and then dodging whether or not what he wrote is in fact the revelation of God. Paul is an apostle appointed by Jesus, called by God, that by the sovereign choice of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul would proclaim the revelation of God to the world. He may have wrote the the ink on the paper, but listen, the words came from God. They came from God. And so for us, that means so much to us. It means that we have an ordained revelation of God. It means that the study of Colossians is more than just us wanting something for self-help. It means that God himself loved us enough to call Paul out of a Damascus road and give him the task to write with authority the revelation of God that we might know who he is and who he has called us to be. From the Old Testament all the way through, we have been charged that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It is relevant, sufficient, and authoritative. We cannot fully accept the theme of Colossians that Christ is supreme. Christ is supreme. We cannot explore the glories of Christ as he has chosen to reveal them without such a high view of Scripture. So in an introduction, I invite you, explore the glories of Christ with us as a church as he chose to reveal them, recognizing that we are not just studying a book, but we are studying the very revelation of God that has come through a man who has been appointed by Jesus, called by God, set apart as an apostle to proclaim the good news. At this time, we're going to shift in our sermon to take the Lord's Supper And what I'd like to do is take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we begin reading in verse 23. It says, For I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I want to pause right there for just a second. If you're here and you do not know Jesus, I mean, you don't know him. There's never been a point in time in your life where you've had an experience like Paul where the very revelation that God loved you so much that he sent you his son to pay the penalty for your death, that by faith in him and through the wonderful grace of God, you could be adopted out of your sin into the family of God saved. I want you to know there is no greater testimony of the gospel than what we are about to do. And as you sit there, listen, I'll I'll be honest with you. If you haven't made that decision, this won't be for you. This is for those who have placed saving faith in Jesus. This is for those who are in. But what I pray it is for you, watch this, is the very thing that Paul writes here. The proclamation of the Lord's death. Our Savior loved you so much that He took His body, His blood, and He gave it to pay the very penalty that was due you. And we do this thing in remembrance of Him, in remembrance of that sacrifice, in the remembrance of the very hope of our salvation. So as you witness this, I pray that the very supernatural power of the Holy Spirit would convict your heart that would call you to repentance that would call you to the recognition that Jesus paid the penalty for you and that in this very moment, your life might be changed. And if you're sitting there going, how do I do that? Maybe for the first time in your life, I would challenge you, pray. Just talk to God. Tell Him. Acknowledge that you're a sinner. Acknowledge that you need Him. Confess your sin and place saving faith that He, the Son of God, paid the penalty for your sin. Paul goes on in verse 27, he says, Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, then so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For if anyone eats and drinks without discerning the body... He eats or drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. The Lord's Supper is an ordinance given to the church. It is only for Jesus' followers, only for those who have placed saving faith. As parents, some of you parent young kids, I want you to know it's a great teaching opportunity. I'm in that same boat. I have a five-year-old. That five-year-old hasn't prayed to accept Christ. It's a great teaching opportunity, but it's not for them. It is for those who have placed saving faith in Jesus. It is a serious, a reverent act. It says our hearts should be right. Our relationship with the Lord should be in line. And lastly, it is an act of remembrance. And so what I'm going to ask you to do at this time is I'm going to ask you very reverently and somberly to come forward. Those who are believers. You can send ahead of the house or you can all come. I'm going to ask you to take the bread and take the cup and return to your seat. And when you're there, I want you to wait. But while you wait, I want you to pray. I want you to confess. And I want you to prepare your heart to remember what the Lord Jesus has done for us. At this time, would you please come forward and take the elements?